Welcome to the Sunday morning podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Horsham. This message is by Phil Pooley. Morning, everyone. How are we doing? You guys doing good? Yeah. Good. Glad to hear it. I was going to start off with a cheesy joke, but you know what? Let's just crack on. Do you know what, Matt? I think I might come and visit you. You got me at snowboarding for Jesus. It's been a long time since I've done any of that. I think my bones might be too old. I might need to transition to skiing. I hear it's easier on the body. But anyway, um, it's lovely to be here with you guys. And we are still in our Next Step series. Okay, so we're living a Next Steps life as a worshipper. So what are some of the things that we've been hearing over the last few weeks? Just shout out to me, just what you guys can remember. Worship. Yeah, <laughs> thanks Paul, worship, yeah. Anything more specific in some of the topics or the themes that we've covered? Relationships, Relationships yeah, thank you John. Anything else? Workplace, Workplace yeah. Prayer. Prayer. Struggles. Struggles, praising God through difficult circumstances. Great, great. Do you remember that right at the beginning of this series, we did a week called Living with an Abundant Mindset? Do you remember that one? Thank God for the watch and listen page. eh? You can all go back and have a listen. (laughs) But we shared uh, about the fact that God loves us and his desire is to bless us so that we would never fall short, no matter what the circumstances look like, because we serve a God of abundance. Amen. So I want you to remember that as... We tackle this morning's subject, okay? Say it with me. God wants to bless me. Everything that you hear from this moment onwards, I want you to hear through that lens that God is for you, He wants to give to you, and He wants to bless you. All right? So if that is His nature, that is who God is. He's good and He wants to bless us. And we're going to be tackling finance today money. Everybody say money. Everybody smile at me. (laughs) You see, God wants to bless you so that you have more than enough. Do you believe it? God has got an assignment for each and every one of us to do. And he knows it's going to take more than what we need just for ourselves in order to fulfill that. So God wants to pour out blessing in your life more than enough. Now, as you might imagine, talking about money in church is everybody's favourite subject. (laughs) It's such an emotive subject. It can just, you don't know what kind of response you're going to provoke. I don't know what response I'm going to provoke in you. However, I, we, would be doing you a massive disservice if we didn't tell you what the Word of God, what the Bible has to say about finance and its role in honouring God, or if you like, in worshipping God. Now money. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Some of you might have already switched off (laughs) and buried your head. I don't know. But whatever your position is on the subject, it is not going away. It is a central part of our life. It's a central part of our society. And we need to know what God's view is on finance so that we can learn to be worshippers through our finances. Amen. Now, there's so much confusion about money in the world and in the church for that matter. And if we don't talk about it, who will? Your IFA? Your bank? Your credit card company? Because they have your best interests at heart, don't they? (laughs) Do you know that the Bible has an awful lot to say about finances? 
Did you know that it was the second most common subject of Jesus' teaching after the kingdom of God? Did you know that? Have you ever thought you, asked yourself why that might be? Because you see, I have a theory. Are you all waiting with bated breath? Do you want to hear my theory? I, don't, I believe it's the subject that trips us humans up more than any other. Okay? So we are going to look at the biblical principles around finances because we do not want you to be ignorant and we want your finances to be blessed because God wants your finances to be blessed. Amen? Okay, so let's turn to the word and see what the word has to say about it. Proverbs 3, 9 puts it like this. This is King Solomon speaking. Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now that sounds pretty good to me. Anybody like the sound of brimming over? I mean, filled to overflowing? That's because our God is generous. He's an abundant God. He wants us to live in abundance in order that we can be a blessing to those around us. But, but, he also wants us to honour him with our wealth. I have a question to pose you right from the, the get-go this morning. God has no problem getting wealth to you, but can he get it through you? Just think about that for a minute. You see, if God has chosen to work through you and me here on earth, and if we're going to be channels of his blessing and of his abundance and his goodness to others, he needs to be able to trust us with money, right? It's logical. So there's, I, I am absolutely convinced of this fact. God is not anti-wealth. And God is for your blessing. And there's nothing wrong with desiring wealth in order to bless others and to further the work of the kingdom of God. The whole purpose, simply put, of becoming a Christian, of maturing as a Christian, is to become more like Christ. Amen? God wants to form Christ in us. We want to be like God. And my Bible tells me that God so loved the world that he gave that God loves, that God gives, that God is generous, that God is an abundant God. So we want to be like him. So we get to give to be like God, right? And that is why the tithe and the offering test us. Nothing tests the human heart quite like finances do. Matthew 6, 21 puts it this way. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Very few of us in life start off extremely wealthy. Have you noticed that? We tend to accumulate wealth over time. And that gives God ample opportunity to see how we handle money and whether he can trust us with it. Okay? And this morning we're going to be principally focusing around the tithe, but I want to say a quick note about giving or offerings, okay? Because they are two different disciplines. Offerings and givings are above and beyond the tithe. And the Bible often refers to them as free will offerings. And they are where you are moved or you are inspired by God. You see a need and you want to meet that need and you want to give towards that need. That's an offering or giving, okay? But this morning, we're going to focus on the tithe. So our starting point and the lens through which we're going to hear this message, that God wants to bless us. I want, to ask, I want you to ask yourself a question in your own heart. Can God trust me to be a blessing with my finances? Can God get finances through me? Just think about that for a minute. 
But before I do, can I just make it absolutely abundantly clear on behalf of Kingdom Faith, we're not after your money. I'm very grateful that the authoring has already taken place because I can say that with genuine integrity. Listen, if you're visiting and you are here, you've just started joining the church, just, just listen up. But I really want to make clear, we are not after your money. We are not bringing this message to the whole church. Horsham happens to be the last congregation that's getting this message because we want you to give more. We're after more money, okay? We are after you to be blessed. And my heart and my prayer is that we get it, that we get revelation. Just like Colin prayed before I came up. Maybe you want to just say that in your own heart. God, help me get this. Help me understand this. So that we have that light bulb moment, that penny dropping moment. That's like, ah, I get it. I get to be like God. I get to give back to God. Because there's a heart response out of worship for him. Because he has given so much to me. Are you with me here? You know God tithes, right? Did you know that? If you didn't, hopefully the next few moments we're going to unpack that and it'll become clear. Okay, so we're talking about tithing today because it's biblical. It's the principle of giving. Both tithes and offering come under this principle of giving. So tithing is returning the tenth back of all our income to the Lord. Okay, It's a principle that runs all the way through the Bible. Right, let's deal with this one right off the bat, okay? It's not an Old Testament thing. It's not a law thing, okay? It came before the law. It's in the wisdom scriptures. It's in Proverbs, which are not the law. Who wants to be wise here? Yeah, anybody else want to be wise? And it's also in the New Testament. Why don't you turn with me to Matthew 23 in your Bibles, to verse 23. If, if you don't have it, don't worry, just listen up. I'm reading from the NIV, and this is Jesus speaking, okay? What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things, Blind guides, you strain your water so you don't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a camel instead. Wow. Jesus meek and mild all over, isn't it? He did not mince his words. Okay. Now, what is Jesus saying? He's saying, keep tithing. Yes, absolutely. Do not ignore those important issues of the justice and mercy and mercy and faith, but keep tithing. Okay. So it's a principle that runs all the way through scriptures, not just Old Testament, not just under the law, but also in the New Testament. Are we all on the same page there? How many of you love a good story? I love a good story. And we're going to turn to a great one now. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles 31. And as you guys turn there, I'm going to give you sort of a bit of a backdrop, a bit of a, a bit of context to the story. So there's this massive cleanup operation going on in the land of Israel. Okay, Hezekiah has just become king. He's ascended to the throne of Israel after his father Ahaz has died. Ahaz was a bad king. If you took the word of God and the law of God, Ahaz did the complete opposite. And so Hezekiah is trying to bring the people of Israel back to the word of God. He's trying to bring that centrality of God to the nation. So he's encouraging all the people of Israel, right? Let's worship God. Let's bring our offerings. Let's praise God together. So he's trying to get God and his word right back at the center of the nation. Are you with me? Right, chapter 31. When all this had ended, the Israelites who were there went out to the towns of Judah. 
They smashed the sacred stones and cut down the Asherah poles. They destroyed the high places and the altars throughout Judah and Benjamin and Ephraim and Manasseh. After they destroyed them all, the Israelites returned to their own towns and to their own property. Hezekiah assigned the priests and the Levites to divisions, each of them according to their duties as priests or Levites to offer burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, to minister, to give thanks and to sing praises at the gates of the Lord's dwelling. The king contributed to um, the king contributed so from his own possessions for the morning and the evening burnt offerings, and for the burnt offerings on the Sabbath and the new moons and the appointing festivals, at the, as written in the law of the Lord. He ordered the people living in Jerusalem to give the portion due the priests and Levites, so that they could devote themselves to the law of the Lord. As soon as the order went out, the Israelites generously gave the first fruits of their grain new wine, olive oil, and honey, and all that the fields produced. They brought a great amount, a tithe of everything. The people of Israel and Judah, who lived in the towns of Judah, also brought a tithe of their herds and flocks and a tithe of the holy things dedicated to the Lord their God, and they piled them in heaps. They began doing this in the third month and finished in the seventh month. When Hezekiah and his officials came and saw the heaps, they praised the Lord and blessed his people Israel. Hezekiah asked the priests and the Levites about the heaps, and Azariah the chief priest from the family of Zadok answered, Since the people began to bring the contributions to the temple of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and plenty to spare, because the Lord has blessed his people, and this great amount is left over. So Hezekiah gave orders to prepare storerooms in the temple of the Lord, and this was done. Then they faithfully brought in the contributions, tithes, and dedicated gifts. So what is this passage talking about? Well, the title of the chapter will probably be a clue. It says, Contributions for Worship. You see, it's, all, it's not about fulfilling the law, it's about worship. Tithing throughout scripture is always placed in the context of worship. But what is Hezekiah saying here? If we break it down into sort of a 21st century context for ourselves, he's like, guys, because I'm sure kings say that, guys, here's our, here's our next step, right? Let's put God first. Let's put God right at the centre of our nation. Let's bring our tithes, let's bring our first fruits to the house of the Lord. Let's worship him by honouring his word, by obeying his word. And here is the most important principle when it comes to worshipping God through our finances, Honour the word of God. How many people here love the word of God? The Bible says that God has exalted his name and his word above all things. God has tied himself to his word. Now we all love his promises, right? We all want to reap the benefits of his promises. So let's do what they say. Let's do what the word says, right? And his word says, tithe the first 10% of all income because it belongs to the Lord. Now, how many people know that all of what we have belongs to God? Amen. All that we are, all that we have belongs to him. Jesus purchased all of us for God. But he requires that the first 10% is returned to him while we have stewardship of the other 90%. Okay. Now, there's a couple of things I want to take out of this story that we've just read because they're brilliant principles and they really help to explain tithing. So if you're taking notes today, point number one that I want you to take is God's blessing. 
Remember what I said about the lens through which we're hearing this message, that God wants to bless us. It's his nature to be abundant and generous. Okay, So let's pick it up at the end of the story. Since the people began to bring their contributions to the temple of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and plenty to spare because the Lord has blessed his people. And this great amount is left over. You see, God has multiplied what they brought. He's provided above and beyond as a result of the people bringing their tithe to him. See, what the king saw when he was chatting to the high priest, Azariah, were the leftovers. There was so much abundance. You see, when they started doing things his way and obeying his word, they were blessed with an abundance. Like, what, a, what an amazing God. Malachi puts it this way. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. Now, I might be wrong here, but I am unaware of any other portion of scripture where God says, put me to the test, other than this area of finances. Put me to the test. See, what did the Israelites have to do as a result of bringing the tithe in? They had to bring, build storerooms. They had to build storehouses. God was fulfilling the very promise that he gives to you and me today. God wants to give us more than what we can handle. He wants to multiply our finances, fill our storehouses so we can't take it anymore. And the first step in enabling God to do that is to bring our tithe. And we bring our tithe to the storehouse. Now, what is the storehouse for us? The storehouse is the local church where you belong. That's it. It's where you fellowship. It's where you are fed spiritually. It's where you relate to one another. It's where you relate to God. It's where you are built up. That is your local church. That is your storehouse. If Kingdom Faith here is not your local storehouse, it's not your local church, then take your tithe and bring it elsewhere. Okay? But this is your local storehouse if you belong to Kingdom Faith. Okay? And it's really key that we get this. It's not just any 10%, okay? It's the first 10%. It's before any deduction, tax and all national insurance and all that. And we're going to come to that in a minute. But it's really key that we understand it's the first 10%. So point number two I want to make to you today is the first fruits. Or if you like, the principle of first. So what's this story telling us? Let's pick it up again in verse five. As soon as the order went out, the Israelites generously gave the first fruits of their grain, new wine, olive oil, and honey, and all that the fields produced. They brought a great amount, a tithe of everything. You see, the first fruits are key. What did King Solomon say in Proverbs? Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops or of your increase. There's a principle of first that works all the way through the Bible. God needs to be first in our lives. God wants to be first in our lives in every area and that includes our money and our finances. So the first 10% needs to go to the Lord. Let's listen to what Paul has to say about it because there's a really key reason why. Romans 11 verse 16 says, just listen up, if the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, then so are the branches. So what are the consequences of bringing that first 10% to God? Is that the rest of it, the other 90% is holy. It's set apart for God. Yeah, yeah. 
How many people know that 90% blessed and set apart for God can accomplish more than 100% not set apart and blessed by God? It's a supernatural thing that God does. Amen? I don't know about you, but I don't want holes in my pockets. I don't want to pay for repairs that I don't have to. I don't want to replace stuff that I don't have to. See, when it's holy, when it's blessed, when it's set apart by God, there's like a divine supernatural favour on it. There's like a divine touch. It's protected. The devil can't touch it. It's holy. It's so key. Is God first in your life? I mean, park money for a minute. Park money for money. Is God first in every area of your life? Is he the first person you think of in the morning? Is he the first person you speak to in the morning? Is he the first person you turn to for help or to celebrate or to thank? Is God first? It's the principle of first all the way through scripture. That is what a lifestyle of a worshipper looks like. Is God first in every area of your lives? For those who are visual, there's a picture that I, I, I like to use because really, I find it really helpful and it may be, be helpful for you, especially if you're a visual person. Imagine an old school wheel, the sort of thing that you might find on a cart or like a wagon or something like that. And right in the middle of it, you have the hub, okay? And that's God. And all the various spokes that go out and make up the whole wheel are all the different aspects and facets of our life. It might be our time. It might be our prayer. It might be our relationships with our loved ones, our, our husband, our wives, our kids, our co-workers. It might be our workplace, our finance. Okay? But God is right at the centre of our lives. Amen? It's the first 10%. And let me, I really want to show you how important this is to God. Okay? How many of you have heard of Cain and Abel? Yeah, Cain and Abel. If you want to turn to Genesis 4, we're going to just read a couple of scriptures in there. For, for those of you who don't know who Cain and Abel, you might be new, coming to church and what have you. You've got two brothers, both are farmers. One is an arable farmer, so he produces things from the land. And one is a livestock farmer, and he raises sheep, okay? And in and Genesis 4. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the first fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. How come the Lord didn't look with favour upon Cain's offering? Let's have a look at the details of the story here because it's really key. Abel brought the fat portions, the best part of the firstborn of his flock. But in verse 3 it says, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the soil. Can you see the difference? See, Cain did not bring the first fruits or the best of what he had produced. It says, simply in the course of time, throughout his harvest, he thought, I'll bring an offering to the Lord. And you think that makes all the difference. God doesn't receive anything but the first. Why? Because it takes faith to offer the first. Picture yourself as Abel for a moment. So you're a, you're a sheep farmer and you have a ewe. That's a female sheep for those of you who don't have English as your first language. So you have a ewe and she gives birth to a lamb, her first lamb. And you offer it to the Lord. You don't have any guarantee that she's going to bear any more lambs. 
You might think, I'll keep the first one and any more subsequent lambs that come, I'll give to God. But you have no guarantee that that lamb is going to, that you is going to produce any more lambs. You see, it takes faith to offer the first. And how many people know God loves faith? So that's my point number three to you. Tithing is an act of faith. See, here's what happens when we give God our first 10%. We place our faith and our trust in him. We say, God, you are my provider. I trust you to multiply my finances, to take care of me, take care of my finances. So you are the one who blesses. And God is the one who says, test me in this. See, the responsibility is on him, not on us. Of course, we have a responsibility to steward and to manage our finances well. And I'm not really touching on that today deliberately because in the new year, we're going to have a whole series on biblical stewardship, on good biblical order in our finances. Okay? So we're going to touch again in the new year. But God is wanting to bless your finances. See, if we were to give God just any 10%, it wouldn't work. Because you see, our trust and our faith would be placed where we give our first 10%. Whether that's to the mortgage company or to the rent or to your bills or to your savings account. It takes faith to offer the first. And God loves faith. When I was asked to bring this message, I'm just going to level with you and be really honest if that's okay. I was a bit apprehensive, you know. Give me faith, give me love, give me salvation, whatever. But yeah, give me money. Thanks very much. <laughs> but in preparing this message, I have been so blessed. God has really blessed me so much and he's really impacted me. And I have a message specifically for you, for us guys, us men. If you like, if you're the head of the household and your family, listen up. You are not your household's provider. God is. The Lord is your provider. All right? Take the pressure off yourself. God is your provider and he wants to bless you. Yes, we have to steward our stuff well, but the Lord is your provider. And you see, there's redemptive power in giving God the first 10%. See, tithing isn't about the law. It's about unlocking God's power and blessing upon our lives. God doesn't need your money, but we need his blessing. And he says, test me in this and see how I will multiply your finances. You know, as I was preparing this message, I was thinking of some stories to kind of make this point. And uh, I was really, it's, you know those moments when you take stock and you think, oh wow, I, I'm so blessed because I had so many stories to draw from. And uh, I'm going to tell you a story about how Karen and I came to buy our house. So Karen and I have always tithed and we've always given to the Lord. And... Um, you know, buying a house in Horsham is really cheap. So we were like saving really, really hard. And we were both working at the time. We didn't have any kids. And we're putting everything aside to try and put us in a position to buy a house. Our deposit, the stamp duty, the legal fees, the moving costs, the whole shebang that comes with buying a property. Okay. And in the process of doing that, there was a, there was a, a time of giving for the church here. And it was called Build the House Offering. And I remember it really well. And God spoke to Karen and I really clearly and he said, I want you to give this amount. And it was a substantial amount. And I was kind of like, okay, God, right. You, you do realise we're trying to save for a house here. And God said to us, you take care of my house and I will take care of your house. So we had that word. So as the months went on and we were looking around, 
this property that we ended up buying came on the market on the Friday, and I remember it really, really well. By the Wednesday of the subsequent week, so four working days later, there were five people at asking price, including ourselves. And so to cut a long story short, what the agency did is they went to something called sealed bids. That's where all the interested parties in purchasing the house had to give their best and final offer. It was kind of like the who wants to build a millionaire? Is that your final answer sort of moment, okay? So I took this phone call from this guy at the agency and he was completely separate to all the agents because they wanted to be separate. Because obviously if you're the, the estate agent and the person that you've shown the house ends up buying it, you get the commission. So there would have been an ulterior motive. So they've got this guy who happened to be the mortgage broker to handle this aspect of the, uh, the offers. And he phoned me up and uh, he told me the situation. And so miracle number one is I was actually able to get hold of Karen during the working day. She was a full-time teacher. And for those of you who know teachers or teaching, there is not a moment in the day when they even get to pick up their phone. But I got through to her. So I explained the situation to her. I said, Karen, this is what we've got to do. And she was like, well, let's give this amount. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, I didn't think quite that much. In my head, I'm thinking, well, that's going to be less for the deposit. That means the stamp duty is going to have to go up. We're going to have to borrow more. We'll have less to do up the house. Karen really wanted the house. We, we really wanted the house. And so, <laughs> and I remember exactly where I was at the moment that that call ended. And Karen left it with me. And I just prayed. And I just prayed. I said, God, what do I do? And God said, offer this amount. And it was between my amount and her amount. And he said this, you will not be the highest bidder, but I have given you the house. Amen. So I get on the phone. I phone the guy, the mortgage broker in the agency. He's like, oh, brilliant. You were the last people to put your offer in. I'm like, okay. And so less than 10 minutes later, I get this phone call. Congratulations. Your offer has been accepted. I'm like, yes. So excited. So happy. And as the conversation sort of unfolds and what the next steps are and what we need to do, I cheekily asked him a question. I said, out of interest, because I wanted to know, right? <laughs> Were we the highest bidders? And he paused and he said, I really ought not to answer this question. But no, you weren't. There were two offers that were higher than yours and one was a cash buyer. Now, how many know in the natural that if you're selling something, you take the most amount of money? Right? You don't sell it for less than what you can get. And you don't, and you take it from a cash buy because they don't have to secure a mortgage or arrange the borrowing. It's just there and then. But how many people know that if you do what God says, there is a supernatural divine blessing and favor on your money and that purchase? Such a cool story. That happened six years ago. We're so thankful to God for our home. It's amazing. And you know the best part? God didn't wait for us to do it. He showed us the example. Do you remember what I said at the beginning of the message? That God tithes. God did it first. Jesus was God's tithe to the world. He gave the best of heaven in order to redeem you and me. He gave his one and only son, his first, his best, his perfect son, so that we could be redeemed. And he did it as an act of faith. He didn't wait for you and me to turn to him before he offered him. He did it in the hope that we would turn to him. And we put our trust in him. Amazing, huh? I want us to have a look at one last scripture together to really make this point. It's in Exodus 13. Uh, I'm reading from the NIV from verse 12. You can just, just listen up, okay? 
You are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with, e with a lamb every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck, redeem every firstborn among your sons. And you might be feel, what are you chatting about? Donkeys, lambs, breaking necks? Bear with me one second, because if you get this revelation like I did, it's such a powerful thing. I'm going to try and explain it. See, this is what God is saying in that verse. You give the first offspring of every womb. Say every womb. So through that verse, we can see, according to that scripture, the firstborn is either sacrificed or it's redeemed. So how do you know which to do? Well, the donkey and the lamb represent two types of animals in Jewish culture. So we need to do a bit of a history lesson here. Okay? So the donkey is an unclean animal and the lamb is a clean animal. Okay? And so what God is saying is that the clean one needs to be sacrificed in order to redeem the unclean one to be redeemed. Now, Jesus is the Lamb of God. He was born clean and he was sacrificed. We were born unclean, but through Jesus' sacrifice, God's tithe, we are now redeemed. Just think of some of Jesus' names in the New Testament. He's the firstborn among many brothers. He's the Alpha and the Omega. They're the, they're the Greek letters for the first and the last. He's the Lamb of God. See, we're no longer unclean because we belong to God. God tithed first in faith, in faith that we would turn to him and worship him. See, our tithe is an expression of worship because every time we tithe, we're responding to heaven in worship of recognition of what God has done for us. See, the initiative always lies with God. He tithed Jesus for you and me. So we tithe out of worship, out of thanks, out of praise and adoration. God gave Jesus in faith. He gave heaven's best to earth. So even when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So our tithe is the best of what earth has to give to heaven. And what's the best that earth has to give? It's our first fruits. It's the principle of first. See, that's why we bring our tithes and our offerings here on a Sunday morning in the context of worship. Because it's an act of worship. Yeah, I will share it with you. I was, I was just thinking time-wise to, to share it. But it's, it's, it's so cool. It really blew me away. Just a little bit of a Hebrew thing. I don't know if there's any Hebrew scholars in the room. I'm certainly not. But in, in my study and preparation for this, what, what I found out, there's sometimes there's double meanings in Hebrew, okay? And you'll have to forgive my pronunciation. But the word for tithing in Hebrew is like ma'aser, ma'aser, okay? And the word to be rich or to become rich is aser. So the word... To be rich or to become rich is hidden in the word tithe. Like, how cool is that? Yeah, that's one for free. You can have that one for free. See, tithing is the foundation of our finances. It's the foundation of our wealth, of our lives, of our homes. God doesn't need your money, but we need his blessing. And we need an abundance to fulfill the assignment that he has for us and to be a blessing to the world around us. Remember that question I posed you right at the beginning? God can get money to you. But can he get it through you? I don't know where you stand on the whole subject of money yourselves. You know, some people are reckless and they spend everything they get. They live on their if come, not their income. Some people are the complete, 
Some people are on the complete opposite. I made that one up. You can have that one for free as well. <laughs> Buy one, get one free. Hey, who's got anything on Tesco's? Um, uh, I've lost my train of thought. See, some people live the complete opposite, where they save everything and hold on to everything as if they have nothing. But whatever your stance on it, we cannot ignore the word of God and what it says and what God did for us in tithing Jesus. He gave us his best and he wants to continue to give us his best, his blessing, his abundance, his overflowing, his provision in our lives. Now, as I said earlier, we will be doing a whole series on biblical stewardship in the new year. But if that's something that you need to respond to and you feel you need to do that, we, we will be running financial freedom small groups in the new year as well, where you can learn how to um, you know, budget well, to plan with God, to bring order into your finances. And there are people available in the church to come alongside you if you need to respond in that area today. Okay? But as a whole church, we're going to be going through that biblical series, that biblical stewardship. But my heart, beloved, this morning is whatever you do, don't do nothing. You need to respond to this in your heart. Even if you just start with God, I want to put you first. Help me put you first in my finances. Help me trust you in this area of my life. And I promise you, if you respond sincerely in your heart like that, God will answer you. Let's just stand and let's pray together as we draw to a close. If you could just hold off collecting your kids and stuff. That's another whole point about biblical stewardship. We want to teach our children about godly principles around finance. Amen. We don't want to leave the world to educate our kids. But just close your eyes. Maybe just pray along with me. Father, I want to worship you in every area of my life. Lord, be first. Lord, I want to give you my best just in the same way that you gave me your best. Father, I thank you that my tithe is holy. It is precious to you, just like Jesus is precious to you. Thank you for showing me that my tithe and bringing it to you is of worship to you. Father, speak to me, show me, reveal to me, help me in this area that you will be first, front and centre, that hub in every area of our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.